My role as a mother is to be there for my children, to love them, and to, in any way I can, help them be the best person that they can be. Welcome back to a new season of Big Little Choices. This is Shri, and I'm so excited to bring you more stories, more inspiring choices, and more opportunities for all of us to learn about what other amazing women and mothers are doing. We really want this season to inspire you and to make a choice or choices that are right for you. If you've heard episodes from the previous season, I hope your takeaway was that you can make an unconventional choice, stay true to yourself, and still have a happy ending. In today's episode, you will hear another story of a transgender youth. Please note that in order to protect their privacy, we will not be using their real names and instead will refer to the mother as Neva and her son as Alex. Neva grew up as an only child and as a result remembers being very lonely and always wanting a big family. Growing up in San Francisco, she was exposed to a lot of cultures and diversity in people and as a result has always been very open-minded. Neva has four kids, all adopted and one of whom is a trans youth. While we will get into Alex's story a bit later, I wanted to start my conversation learning a little bit more about Neva's journey to becoming a mother. When Neva started trying to get pregnant, she had two miscarriages and ultimately decided to go down the path of adoption. And once she adopted her first child, she knew that it was her path and she didn't need to give birth to a child for her to feel like it was her own. Neva talks about her choice to have multiracial kids and the process she went through to grow her family. Uh, well, our first child was a, uh, adopted from China. Before I had children, I went uh, on a trip to Nepal with a girlfriend of mine. And while I was there, I had, it wasn't exactly a vision, but I could feel my future children around me. And there were a lot of them. <laughs> uh, and at the time that, that we started uh, the adoption process, Nepal was not open to adoptions um, for, for US, US citizens, but later on it did open up. So our first child was from China. We started an adoption process for Nepal, and my husband wanted to also have another child from, from China. So unintentionally, we ended up having two adoption tracks going at the same time, one in China and one in Nepal. And what they told us, uh, they warned us against actually happened, which is we ended up, the adoptions coincided. So we ended up adopting our son and our daughter at exactly the same time. And they were only three months apart in age. And then our fourth child uh, happened way later. I'd always, for some reason, felt like there was a child in Africa that was meant to be mine. I, I can't explain it any other way. And I had looked into adoption in, in, uh, in the African countries, which are very few, like Ethiopia is really the only country that had an adoption program. We started the adoption process, but our marriage was, was disintegrating. And pretty much everyone was against my <laughs> going forward with the adoption. With the fourth adoption. With the fourth adoption. Um, I already had three children. My, my marriage was falling apart. Our money was gone. <laughs> um, and even myself, I'm like, why am I doing this? This makes no sense rationally. But my heart just said that there is a soul waiting for me. And I don't know how to explain it any other way. So two from China, one from Nepal, and one from Ethiopia. 
which makes us a multiracial, very multiracial family. My kids have very white parents. <laughs> so I do want to go back to, you know, what you just said about you were into the fourth adoption, your marriage wasn't doing well, and most people were against you moving forward with it. Mm-hmm. But what were you feeling like during that period of time? Like, was it just like a really challenging time for you? Because what I'm trying to understand is, you know, when if you think of it like a pros and cons list, there's more cons than there's pros, except for the fact that, of course, you're going to have a beautiful child come into your family. What was it like? Was it close friends that supported you through this? Was it, you know, somebody in your family who said it doesn't matter if everybody's against it, I'm here for you? Or was it just your own strength and courage that said, you know what, we, I can do this. Like no matter what anybody thinks or if I have a spouse or not, I'm still going to go forward. Like what was it that really made you move forward with that choice? Honestly, I think most of those years are, are a little bit of a blur. There was so much going on. I think really I was operating a lot in terms of my children for sure through intuition. Like this is the right thing to do. This is the next step. I think with all of them, that's really the only time in my life that I felt so strongly from some inner place that this was my path. And so what was it like once you had your four kids and then at some point your husband moves out Mm -hmm. and as a single mom raising four kids in a city like San Francisco? It it was definitely difficult, um, that that whole period, um, for so many reasons. Um, Like I said, Financially, it was very difficult. Um, I had to sell our home. My children were little. Um, they already, you know, having been adopted, had um, some abandonment issues. Um, so to break up the family um, and have to move them out of their home, it, it was it was a difficult time. As you can tell, this was a tough time in Neva's life. Four young kids and a single income to support them. She ultimately ended up selling her house and moving into another place with two other women, one of whom also had a child. Financially, it was the only thing that made sense at that time. So it was three women and five children living together for what was meant to be a year, but now has been seven years and counting. And many things have changed in these last seven years, including Neva's son's transition from a girl to a boy. Neva opens up about the early signs of Alex's choice to identify as a boy and the ups and downs they had to face as a family since then. So what were the early signs or when did you notice that your then daughter, now son, wanted to be a boy? The actual very first sign was when he was 18 months old. We had him in the stroller in Mervyn's and my husband and I went down the aisle to look at the girl's shoes and a son who was our daughter then <laughs> pulled out a, a box of Buzz Lightyear shoes from the uh, the shelf put them on and they fit and sort of ever since then he started wearing being more interested in wearing boy clothes uh, when he was in preschool he gravitated more towards uh boy toys instead of being a princess, that sort of thing. Uh, He wore boys' clothes but had long hair for a while when he was little. Uh, So people were sort of confused whether he was a girl in boys' clothes or a boy with long hair. Uh, And then at one point he, um, he wanted his hair cut short, and ever since then he looked like a boy. Though he 
at that, you know, when he was little, I think he identified as a girl who liked boy things. You know, this is a question I also asked my previous guest, Melissa, who now has a daughter, Monty, who's a trans youth as well, in that when you have a young child who's expressing a desire like this of wanting to be of the other gender, as a parent, at you know, how do you sort of like find the difference between, oh, this is just something that they're trying and exploring versus this truly looks to me, at least from the outside, that it is an identity that they really want to have or you know where it's not so much about oh she's just exploring wearing the buzz light shoes or the outfits or you know making uh, airplanes from toilet paper rather than oh it seems like maybe she wants to be a boy as a mother is there a point where you find there is a distinction between these two things I think it's it sounds silly now but I, I don't think I thought it through that far. I think I just accepted that that's, that's who he was, that that's what he was interested in. And I, well, I actually didn't know anything about puberty blockers, for example, or kids could go through a transition to be transgender. Uh, I didn't know anything about that uh, until uh, my husband found an article um, about about puberty blockers and that they were starting to be used um, in children um, for uh, transitioning to another gender. Uh, And it was honestly, it was really scary when I first heard about it. Um, I'd had, my whole life I'd struggled with PMS and my own hormones. And so to think of a journey for a child to go through that, that involved hormones for their entire life sounded scary to me. Before that, I really, I really didn't think of it as as him wanting to be another gender. I just thought of it as who he was and what his what his his interests were. It sounds like physically he was starting to look like a boy. He wore boys' clothes. He cut his hair, but he still had a female name. So, what were the early years, particularly in you know? I know we live in a progressive city like San Francisco. But in terms of how his friends perceived him or how you may have started sharing this news with your friends and family, like, can you talk me through a little bit of the early years and just from your point of view? Well, he, especially once his hair was cut, he presented as a boy. So anybody, you know, his classmates or his family just accepted him as essentially a girl who liked boy things. And that's even how he would explain himself to people. So I'm a tomboy. Yeah, I don't think he ever used that term, but that's essentially it. Or at least how people probably perceive it to be. But definitely said a girl who likes boy things. Mm -hmm. What I think was was interesting to observe was how how society treated him because they treated him as a boy. So you just really notice when we're in a restaurant with my little girl and someone says, Hey buddy, what do you want to eat? You know, that's how they treated him differently thinking that he was a boy. It was, was interesting. So at this point you were not sharing any of this with the larger community. It was sort of, you knew, I'm assuming the other kids knew, and it was kind of confined to your home while you were still figuring out how he wanted to move forward. Well, at that time there was no moving forward. He was just living as who he was. I mean, he was a girl that liked boy things. That's, that was essentially it there at that point when he was little, there was no knowledge of 
being transgender or actually becoming a, a different gender. Because this is um, 10 plus years ago. Yeah, I mean, I'm talking about when he was like four or five, yeah. six. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely, definitely younger. And I think and when I said moving forward, what I meant was, you know, are you, t- are you talking to people about, yes, she was born as a girl, but he wants to be a boy. Like, were there those kinds of conversations coming up when other people noticed that he was presenting himself as a boy? Was that a conversation at all or not at this point? As not, not at that point. Okay. So then what happens when he's uh, ready to start middle school? So because that's right around the same time when you said that your husband found an article about mm-hmm. puberty blocking hormones. Um, so was there some big transition that happened right around that time? So that's, he essentially refused to go to middle school um, before, you know, he was enrolled, ready to start school. And he had been talking a while about wanting to be homeschooled um, and then and then really just did not essentially refused to go to school. And it wasn't until much later that he told us that the reason was he didn't want to start school as a girl and end as a boy. Essentially, he was he didn't want to make the transition with people that he that knew him as a girl. But he didn't tell us that till much later. And I think it t- you know it took him a while to feel like that he could talk to us. And when he did finally talk to us, he essentially said that he'd been researching it by himself online before he even knew how to to spell the words. So so he was he was aware of this um, long before before he ever talked to us. Aware of the fact that he wanted to be a boy. And that it was possible. And mm-hmm. when you say it was possible, are we talking from a medical sense of like going through a surgery to have like a gender reassignment? Is it that or is it more just like a mindset? Um, no, he knew all of that. And, okay. and he even showed us online, you know, pictures of gender reassignment surgery right. and, and all kinds of things. And I had no idea that, that he'd been been thinking about all that or even knew all of that. And why is it that he didn't want to start middle school as a girl and end as a boy? Because presumably this change would have happened in those years because from my understanding because I thought that he'd probably wait till he was 18 to have a gender reassignment Mm -hmm. but it sounds like there's other things that you'll you'll get into like Lupron and some of this other stuff that could have happened before and he didn't want to go through that transition exactly in middle school exactly and that's what this article was about and why it was it was so sort of scary for me is because it talked about puberty blockers which essentially you take right before the onset of puberty so that you you don't in this case grow breasts and you know become become a woman which is now in retrospect i think life savings for so many transgender um, people that they don't they don't have to turn into that gender that they don't feel comfortable with um, you know and and i think that that causes so much pain for so many people um, and even suicide and all kinds of because because they don't have any control over their body. So, as scary it was to think of starting my child on hormones at such a young age, it really is incredible that that he was spared um, having to go through having to go through puberty and as a woman. <laughs> yeah. When all of this happened, Alex was about ten or eleven. When you started thinking about these puberty blocking hormones, yeah, I would say ten. Who is ultimately the decision maker in this process? Is it the child 
but as a minor is it the child is it the parent or is it the doctor like who is ultimately giving the go ahead saying yes even though it's a minor who might not necessarily know um if this is and in in obviously in your son's case he knew this is what he wanted mm-hmm. but you know i'm just saying generally speaking like a doctor could say oh but he's only 10 Mhm. Are you as a parent confident that this is what your child wants and you're going to like you know give the final sort of like go ahead for us to move forward or is this that something that comes from the pediatrician because I I'm really curious to understand and you mentioned this earlier like we know how you know I went through IVF I've taken some of these medications and we know how you know these hormones can like mess up our bodies and minds so having all of that knowledge like how do you find confidence in the fact that this is going to be okay and i'm going to move forward with this therapy for my child i think that's probably the most difficult part is um you know is this safe is this is how how can a child so young make a decision that's uh for the rest of their life i mean i my understanding from the the lupron the puberty blockers that is somewhat reversible but once they start the actual um hormones testosterone in this case that that's irreversible so you know how to how does a child so young make that decision and mm-hmm. and, and we certainly i think to answer your question ultimately the decision was alex's uh, it was his decision and and all we could do was to support him and and i think all the sort of hoops that the doctors were having us and him jump through or to make sure you know that it that it was his decision so then alex starts the puberty blocking hormones he resumes school so it sounds like he went back to school middle of 7th grade and started presenting himself as a boy he had a new name as well at this point correct he had a boy a boy's name Um so he he was homeschooled for a year and a half and that was probably I think the most difficult time for him. He was isolated, he was depressed. He uh, gained a lot of weight. Um his uh he was doing online schooling. Uh his grades started dropping and I just realized he really needed to like be in a school. So in the middle of 7th grade, um we found a school for him and he went to school as a boy. There were only a couple of people in the administration uh that knew because of his school records. I mean, he, he was a, a girl uh on paper. <laughs> um but he presented as a boy. Um by that time he had chosen a, a boy's name. Uh so everybody in school knew him as a boy. So it was like he was starting a fresh new identity, new name without right. the baggage of what he'd had in his previous school. Right. And so what were the next couple of years like? So he completely blossomed. Um immediate almost immediately he made friends. He was having parties at our house. He was getting straight A's. Um he he was I feel like he just came to into his own and he he finally felt comfortable in his own skin and was thriving. And you also mentioned that he went through something called top surgery. Can you talk a little bit more about that? there's a lot involved in in the whole process i mean first first there's puberty blockers um he he had a um implant in his arm to um for some of the medication um then he started uh, testosterone um which involves getting a shot in the butt every 2 weeks <laughs> uh and as he be, was older he took it up on himself to make it to his appointments and and all of that 
when he was, uh, I think he was 16, he, he had top surgery. The point of Lupron, which is the puberty blocking drug, is to prevent puberty um, from happening. <laughs> and they waited a little bit too long, so he did have breast tissue. He'd also gained a tremendous amount of weight when he was in the homeschooling period, and he had lost it all. He had, had started working out and eating well, and but then the result, there was a lot of sort of excess um, um, tissue. So uh, he had top surgery, and uh, they removed the breast tissue as well as the ex- extra from, from the weight gain. So at what point uh, did Alex choose to come out and tell his close friends or family that he wanted to be a boy? Well, there were, I think, two distinct parts. There was early on, before taking the puberty blockers, he was required by the doctors and legality (laughs) um, to tell his immediate family, like his grandparents and our roommates. And that was difficult for him. They essentially already knew and were incredibly accepting, but it was difficult for him to, to actually tell them. The most interesting thing is everyone was worried that they would call him by his old name. <laughs> so that was their biggest worry. They had no judgment. They were loving and supportive. Um, uh, but I know it was difficult for him. The real sort of coming out was actually only recently, maybe a little more than a year ago. When he went to middle school, he, he went as a boy with a boy's name. He, uh, we eventually did the name and gender, the paperwork for all of that name change and, and, and gender change. Uh, and then he went to high school as a boy. So all of his friends knew him as a boy. Then he had a girlfriend and things were getting more serious with them. And he felt like he had to tell her. <laughs> I'm sure he had a lot of anxiety about that, and no one knew. I mean, he presented as a boy. There were times when we might run into somebody that he knew from his childhood. Um, that happened quite a few times, um, but otherwise he'd really distance himself from, from people who knew him as a girl. So he, the first person he told was his best friend, who, who was a girl, and she was so relieved because she thought this serious thing he had to tell her was like that he was sick or something like so he she was just she cried because she was so relieved that <laughs> that, that uh, that's what he, that he was telling her that, that he was trans when he told his girlfriend it turned out his girlfriend already knew um, and was really pushing him to to be the one to tell her which was interesting because she could have saved him a lot of grief but then on the other hand she knew going into the relationship that he was trans um, so it was it was uh, incredible how supportive of his friends have been. But again, you know, now he's in college and uh, he's, some of his close friends are actually with him in, in college. They went to the same school. But uh, otherwise, he's in the world as a man. You know, he's not wearing the badge, I'm yeah. trans. He's, he's just living his life as, as a, a man. man. So, as Alex has made some of these big decisions, right? I mean, be it from, I know we talked about the puberty blocking hormones, then to top surgery. Mm-hmm. As a mother, what did it take from you? The one thing I have to say is that Alex has made this incredibly easy for me. As a mother, you want the best for your child and to see them in any kind of uh, situation where they're suffering or they have a difficult difficult journey, um, that's been difficult for me. But he has been incredible. He has been, he is the most courageous person I know. He has 
walked this journey with with so much dignity and grace and he's never felt sorry for himself or complained and that and that has been an incredible gift i mean he's just <laughs> it's incredible as a mother was saying no ever an option not in the sense of i won't let you do it but i won't support you oh never outside of signing paperwork for example oh never i mean my concerns have always been what what is his life going to be like what is what is his journey but it, it was never a, a, a thought that i wouldn't support him i mean that's uh, i think my role as a mother is to be there for my children to love them and to in any way i can help them be the best person that they can be the best them that they can be and and this is his journey and i'm just privileged to be to be there with him so Neva, one of the things that you know I often wonder about is there's certain choices that we make as mothers that just affect us and then there's certain choices where we have to support our kids that will then affect them for the rest of their lives. And so as you think of that as a mother supporting your child in making a choice that you know society might think is unconventional but is absolutely the right choice for your child and it's what is going to make them authentic and unique and own their identity. How do you think about how you can support them as a mother? Well, I think the most important thing for all of us, and I'm learning this lesson as well, is to feel good about ourselves um, and celebrate our, our differences and our, uni our uniqueness. And really all I can do as a mother is to love my children and to support them in being the best them that they can be. And then what about, you know, worrying about what people might say, what people might think, like some of these other pieces that come with when you do things differently? I think first is just trusting that each child's journey is their own and that really as a mother, I don't, I don't have much control over that, that really I can just be there for them and to answer your question, that's really difficult for all of us of how the world perceives us and all I can do is be there for them and love them. It's been nine months since I first approached Neva to share her story to her finally agreeing to be on the podcast. She was reluctant because she had never shared the story publicly and has always been fiercely protective of her son's privacy. But what ultimately made her want to be more open is the amount of hate and shame around the choice to be a trans youth. Families not supporting their kids or kids feeling a deep sense of shame around this transition. So I'm very honored that she chose this platform to share her story and talk about how being trans is actually not a choice. I'm so inspired by Neva's strength and courage and hope that this episode gave you a tiny glimpse into her life and the choices that she's had to make. We wrapped up our chat with her final thoughts on why she thinks it's important to support our children on whatever journey they choose. So do you have any advice for women who are trying to make an unconventional choice in their life based on your own experiences? I don't feel like this, this was a choice for me. I think the choice in my life was to adopt children, um, but certainly it's never a choice to support my children. They are who they are, and I support them and love them, and anything I can do to be there on their journey, I'll do. It's not a choice. Thank you for listening to this episode, and I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back soon with another interview. 
And until then, if you have any feedback or comments on the kinds of choices you want to hear more about, let me know.